Imagine it's the early 60s AD, so it's about 64 years after Jesus was born. And you're in Rome, and you've got a busy life, running your little shop, looking after your family. And so life pressurises you. And society pressurises you, because you live in a city where Christians are regarded as rather odd outsiders. And Christians' values clash very much with society's values. And Jesus, well, he seems like a very distant figure. He lived quite a while ago, far away over the other side of the Mediterranean Sea. And so you need persuading and you need encouraging to be confident in Jesus and to follow him. Well, that's who Mark's gospel was probably first written to. Christians like that in Rome in the early 60s AD. But that's also us. I hope as I gave that description, you could identify that that that's very familiar to us, very similar to us. And Mark's gospel was also written to us. So let's turn to Mark chapter 1, verse 17. Mark chapter 1, verse 17. Last week, Seth started us on a series in Mark's gospel, and this week we've got the verses 16 to 20. But, uh, well, that's, that, by the way, is the calling of the first. But first, but we're going to focus today on three words, very simple words. Children, can you see them there in verse 17? Jesus said three very simple words. Come, follow me. Very simple words, but they actually represent big themes in Mark's gospel. I think by by thinking about these words, we can see some of the big themes of the whole gospel. But my aim this morning is not just to give you big themes of Mark's gospel and so you can go away saying, oh, I know Mark's gospel better. My aim is that you come follow Jesus. That's the aim. So we're going to take each word in turn. And I hope that makes for a simple structure you can follow. Oh, I meant to say, children, um, if you haven't got one, there should be at the back one of those children's sheets to help you follow. I've made the questions a little more, they require more thought than usual. There's usually a simple answer you could give and a harder answer if you think about it. But I hope also it's going to be simple enough for all the children. Come, follow me. First of all, come. Let's take these words in turn. First of all, come. Now, children, imagine you go into Loughborough Town Centre and you go into one of those hairdressers on Derby Square. You stand in the doorway and there's Adele cutting hair. Her mother did before her. She inherited the family. She works hard because it's hard work just to make enough money to get by. And you stand in the doorway and you say to her, come, follow me. And Adele puts down the the, uh, the scissors. There's, there's a poor person left with her hair half cut. And she goes out of the door and she follows you. Leaves it all behind. Is that likely? No, it's unimaginable, isn't it? Sounds utterly ridiculous. That's not going to happen, is it? And yet, that's what happened one day in Galilee. This is verses 16 to 20. Simon and Andrew were brothers in a family business. And they were in the act of fishing. Mark, who loves action, says, verse 16, they were even casting the net into the lake. And 
Even at that point, when they were throwing the net into the lake, Jesus says, come. And they leave it all behind and come. And then there's James and John, and they also are brothers in a family business. And they're getting ready for fishing. Verse 19, they're preparing their nets. They're getting ready. Remember, people then were poor. They didn't have savings to live it to live on. They needed that day's fishing. They needed to make enough money to live each day. And they're preparing for it. But Jesus says, come. And the same thing happens. Straight away, they leave it all. What caused it? Jesus said, come. And here straight away, we have one of the big themes of Mark's gospel. And the theme is this, the authority of Jesus, particularly through his words. Did you get that? That's a big theme of Mark's gospel, the authority of Jesus, particularly through his words. There are examples across these early chapters, the one we just heard. There's the authority of Jesus in his word, come. But just look on to verse 22. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority. His words of teaching have power. And then verse 25. There's a man with an evil spirit. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. And he does. The authority of Jesus over evil spirits. And the crowd notices what's going on. Verse 27, they're amazed. What is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. The crowd gets what's going on. Here's a man whose word has power. Verse 41 and 42, there's a man who's a leper. Verse 41, filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. His word has power over illness. Or or you could jump on to chapter 4. There are more, but I just point out this one because it's so famous and so striking. That famous incident in the storm. What does Jesus do in the storm? Verse 39, he got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, be quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. Power in his words. The words of Jesus have power to make what he commands happen. That's what we're being taught here in Mark's gospel. The words of Jesus have power to make what he commands happen. There's a, there's a particularly significant example. If you just look on to chapter 2, the beginning of chapter 2, Jesus meets a man who can't walk. Uh, those who know, know that there's a lot in the word meets. He comes through the roof, but we can't go into that. He's paralysed. He can't get up off his stretcher. Now, children, what could Jesus do about this man who can't walk? He could touch him, couldn't he, and heal him like he touched the leper. He could command the illness. He could say to the illness, be gone, and it would be gone. But he doesn't do that. What does he do? Have a look at the end of verse 10. Chapter 2, end of verse 10. He said to the paralytic, to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, 
took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. Emphasis on what Jesus said did happen. Now, what's he doing here? He's telling the man to do something he could not do. He says to the man, get up. Well, Jesus, I came here because I can't get up. What are you doing telling me to get up? But the words of Jesus carry power, so the man does get up. But he didn't this time command the illness, be gone. He commands the man. He addresses him as someone who has responsibility to respond, to obey. Miracles of Jesus are often pictures of Jesus saving sinners. In fact, Jesus himself makes the link in verse 10. Do you doubt I can forgive sins? Here I'm going to illustrate that I forgive sins. His miracle is a picture of what he does, saving sinners. And there's something really important here about people becoming Christians. The Bible describes as dead. Don't raise themselves. The Bible describes Christians as slaves to sin, and slaves don't free themselves. The the Bible describes unbelievers as blind to Jesus, and blind people aren't attracted to what they can't see. And the call of Jesus calls us to respond. Come, you're responsible. Come, you've got a part in this. Come. But his words have power to overcome that deadness and that slavery, and that blindness. By the way, the power is when the Holy Spirit works in your heart alongside the Word. Now, what's the point of me telling you that? You've just learnt an important bit of theology. Theologians call it effectual calling. Effectual is just an old-fashioned word for effective. The call of Jesus is effective in the heart. But, But what help is that? What's the point of it? Well, the point is this. Because you need to know your weakness and inability, the power of Jesus, and your responsibility. Your weakness, do it yourself, and do it, but your responsibility. And this teaching combines all three and shows how the three work together. And, and we need to know that because of this. If you've got any self-confidence, if your attitude is anything like, I'm a competent person, yes, and I've, I've worked out the Bible is reliable, so now I'm going to follow Jesus. As if it's just something you've managed to do yourself, or you will manage it, you won't. If your attitude is like that, then you won't. After one Sunday service, someone said to me, I've been successful in business all my life. Uh, Most areas of life I've done well at because I'm a pretty competent person. And this morning I've realised that I've tended to apply that to the Christian life. And I've tended to think, I'm pretty confident and competent. I manage myself in the Christian life. He said, I've realised this morning that's what I've done and that it's wrong. I was so encouraged to hear that from him. So encouraged. Because it's the starting point of relying on Jesus' power when we see our powerlessness. But his power comes in words that we have responsibility to respond to. What do those words say to us? We've heard come, 
And now secondly, follow. Second word, follow. Jesus calls the fishermen to follow. And if they're going to follow, they need to, verse 18, do what? Leave their nets. If they're going to follow, they need to do what? Verse 20, leave the boat and even their father and the other fishermen. The following begins with leaving things behind. Following begins with leaving certain things. And this is a picture of repentance. It's really significant this follows verse 15. Repent and believe the good news. And now we have a picture of repentance. They follow by leaving certain things. Repentance is leaving the things that would stop you following Jesus. You turn from them. They leave their nets. They leave their dad. They leave the boat because they're going to follow Jesus. Now, there's something we could get wrong here that we've really got to watch out for. And it's this. They don't leave those things to make themselves good enough to follow Jesus. They don't leave those things to prepare themselves for following Jesus. Repentance is not, I'll sort myself out so I can follow Jesus. Repentance is not, I'll leave certain things to prepare myself for following Jesus. Repentance is, I turn to Jesus so he will sort me out. The turning to Jesus so he will sort us out does involve leaving some things. I'll try to illustrate it like this. Repentance is like an alcoholic going to Alcoholics Anonymous. Now, for those who don't know, Alcoholics Anonymous is an organisation to help people overcome addiction to alcohol. Now, Evie is not going to go to AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, yet. No, not yet. She's going to get herself off drink first. Then she'll go to Alcoholics Anonymous. She's going to get herself cleaned up and sorted out, and then she'll go and she'll be more comfortable in the meetings. Well, you say, don't be silly, Evie. You go to AA for them to help you. In fact, the very first principle of AA is, I can't do it myself. And I will not get anywhere until I recognise I can't do it myself. And the second principle of AA, very interestingly, I wonder where they got this from, is I need a higher power outside myself to free me. So Evie, don't sort yourself out and then go. Go now. But do you see, when Evie turns to AA, that is in itself an act of leaving the drink and saying, I don't want it to rule my life anymore. Now, I hope you can see how that's picturing repentance. Following Jesus involves turning from sin. In fact, going to Jesus for help is an act of turning from sin and saying, I don't want it to rule my life any longer. But it's not sorting ourselves out. It's turning to him for him to sort us out. They leave and they follow. Where is Jesus going to lead them? Well, here again, I want, to, I want to show you a bit of the themes of Mark's gospel. Mark is in two pretty basic halves. The first half is chapters one to six, and it's Jesus' authority, following him and seeing his authority. He's powerful. But then the second half is very different. Chapter eight to 15 is all about Jesus is going to suffer 
It's all about Jesus looking weak and going to suffer. Now, remember, Mark was probably written to Christians in Rome and they're under pressure. And it says to them and it says to us, look at Jesus' authority, be confident and follow him. And look at Jesus going to suffer and follow him despite any suffering and difficulty and cost involved. On Tuesday, I was talking to a student who's uh, expecting to join the RAF. And he was asking about living as a Christian in the armed services, following Jesus in the RAF. And he's got to be confident in the authority of Jesus. So when he's told that his squadron are going out to get tremendously drunk and do crazy things, and it's part of them bonding together, which I expect will happen, because I had a friend who was a Christian in the Paris, and he said that was happening all the time. And you're under immense pressure. This is part of our togetherness. You must do it. He's got to be confident. Jesus has higher authority than anyone in the RAF, whatever their rank. I'll follow him, even though I may look weak and be utterly scorned and be an outsider. Now, going in the armed services is a pretty extreme example, but children at school, students at university, people at work, you'll face similar things, won't you? Will you follow Jesus? Following, they left, they followed. When did they follow? When did they follow Jesus? There's such a sense of quickness and urgency in Mark's writing. Verse 15, the time has come. Verse 18, at once. Verse 20, without delay. There's this quickness, there's this urgency. When did they follow? Immediately. There's even urgency in verse 17 that you might not recognise. There's something about verse 17 that we could easily not recognise. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. Now there's, there's something here we could easily not spot. Is it good news that fishermen are coming? Jesus says, I will make you fishers of men. Is it good news that, that fishermen are coming? Well, not if you're a fish, is it? Yeah? If you're a cod swimming in the sea, there you are at the, in the Atlantic, happily swimming around, Mr. Cod, and uh, a boat turns up and it throws a net in. The fishermen have come. Is that good news for you? When you're tangled in their net, are you feeling happy when you're turned into a fish finger? We think, of course, it's, verse 17 is all good news, but it's not all good news. Fishers of men is not all good news. Did you know in the Old Testament... There was a fisher of men. Several times God is called a fisher of men. There's this picture of God with his net catching sinners. And it's a picture of judgment. Which is rather obvious, isn't it, when you think of a fish in the net. God, we're told, is going to come to judge sinners and it's like him being a fisher of men. Now, here in Mark 1 is God burst into the world in the person of Jesus. And he comes with good news for sinners who come, follow me. But there's also warning of judgment, of bad news for those who don't come, follow me. 
When Jesus says, come, follow me, it's urgent. Because God is a God who comes one day with judgment. And his judgment is frightening and inescapable, like a fish tangled in a net, frightened and cannot escape. And God's judgment will one day be like that. So children, how often have you heard about repenting and believing the good news? And when are you going to? Teenagers, how often have you heard about repenting and believing the good news? And when are you going to? Adults, how often have you heard about repenting and believing the good news? When are you going to? Mark says, don't think God is tame and you can play around. Don't think I'll do it in my own time. Remember, you are powerless. It depends on the power of Jesus. And he may not let you in your own time. Now. Leave. Follow Jesus. I have to be brief with the last one. You remember what the last word is? This is all very simple. Come, follow me. Where did the fishermen follow? Well, wherever Jesus went. That's the emphasis. Verse 17, come, follow me. Verse 18, how does it end? They followed him. Verse 20, how does it end? They followed him. Very simple. It's all about Jesus. He is the one to be followed. And this is the biggest theme of Mark's gospel. Who Jesus is. This was what was so helpful about Seth's sermon last Sunday. It's all about Jesus, and we so easily follow things other than him. And we so easily turn our Christianity into following a thing other than him. But verse 1, it all begins like this. The beginning of the good news about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It's the Jesus good news. It's all about him. As the children's song says, who he is... And what he's done makes Jesus number one. It's all about him. And Mark's trying to tell you who he is and what he's done. So you follow him. Now, fellow Christians, you know that, don't you? That's pretty simple. Maybe the children need that. But do you? Yeah, we still. We still need that. We keep on needing that. We still need Mark's lesson. It's all about Jesus. Imagine again being a Christian in the early 60s in Rome. That's 60s AD, not 1960s. And you've actually, just a few years before, received a letter from Paul. Because in 57 AD, he wrote what we call the letter to the Romans. And when you heard this letter, you were amazed at the doctrines. Wow, they're so deep. And they're so coherent. And they make such sense. And you love to think through and defend this thorough understanding of salvation. You're so amazed at the doctrines. And Mark's gospel then comes a few years later to you. And it's effectively saying this. The doctrines are great. Keep hold of them. Yes. But make sure you're not just amazed at doctrines, but you're amazed at Jesus. And you're not just correct in your doctrines, but you're following him. There in Rome, 
the early 60s, you see the moral chaos that is around you, and it really was in Rome. It was, in fact, very much like 21st century Britain. Homosexuality was rife in Rome. The society was so indulgent, in fact, it was going to end up destroying the Roman Empire. You could say the motto of Rome was, in a sense, if it feels good, do it. But that's somewhere before. And you think we need the moral absolutes of the Bible. We need the Bible's thorough, coherent worldview, the foundation the Bible gives. And Mark's gospel comes to you and it says, yes, we do. But more, we need Jesus. Make sure you're not just got a worldview that you're putting into practice, but you've got a person, Jesus the Saviour, and you're following him. We still need that lesson, don't we? There in Rome, there are such riches available to you. You live at the centre of the wealthiest empire, and you live in a society that really admires strength, physical strength, and success. It's so easy to go to church on Sunday, but Monday to Saturday, what you're really following is getting that comfortable house in the right area of Rome, getting stronger and fitter physically, being successful in your job or whatever area, your business, whatever it might be. And Mark is saying, follow Jesus. Don't just turn up to church and then the rest of the week, actually, you're really following something else. Don't let anything take his place. In fact, if that thing is hindering you from following Jesus, leave it now and follow him. Come follow me. And that that me, that it's Jesus to follow, we never move beyond needing that lesson. Come follow me. Jesus said to the fishermen, come follow me. But by being recorded in the Bible, it's become God's word to you today. Jesus is saying to you and me today, however new it is to us or however familiar it is to us, come follow me. You can't manage it yourself. But the word of Jesus has power to overcome that. And you have responsibility to obey him. So will you come follow me? Let's pray.